Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks for being here. As always, another week has gone by. I mean, where the hell is the time going? It's the end of January now. It was just Christmas a couple of days ago, and before we know it, it'll be St. Patrick's Day, then the summer, then it'll be August, and we'll be sitting around going, why haven't we bought any players? The season's about to kick off tomorrow. I don't know what's happening. The world is just spinning far too fast, for my liking. Anyway, um, welcome to the show. As I said, we're uh, heading into an FA Cup weekend. We're going to play Southampton. Uh, record against Southampton, not particularly great, but we will touch on that uh, a little bit later on in the show. It's a bit of a, a different show, not different really, but but uh, longer in terms of what we might normally do. My guest today is Ken Early from Second Captains. Uh, Ken was with us to help kick off the season and he came into the studio earlier in the week and we sat down to have a chat about, you know, the Premier League in general, what's going on. But as ever with Ken, the conversation was very interesting and it, it sort of stretched on for a bit, for about 50 minutes. So we're going to do that, but I'll bring you that in maybe two parts. I'll give you a gap, a little bit of a pause where you can go and make a cup of tea or get a drink or a sandwich or I I don't know what. Whatever you would like to do or not do. It's not that big of a gap. I'm not going to leave like 10 minutes of dead air. You can just pause it anyway. That's the beauty of podcasts, isn't it? So we'll be talking to Ken a little bit later on. And as I said, we've got FA Cup action against Southampton and it's been An interesting kind of a week, I guess you would say. There's been the fallout, of course, from the 2-1 win. Well, not so much fallout from a 2-1 win over Burnley, but man, it was exciting and heart-stopping and everything else. We got the the winner. But Arsene Wenger, of course, was charged with misconduct by the FA. He said he's pretty much going to accept the charges as they were given to him, but he's going to request a personal hearing. And as far as I know, that is going to take place today, Friday, at which point we'll find out what kind of a a punishment they're going to mete out to him. They're definitely 
definitely going to give him something. My guess is that he wants to go and put his case to them in person rather than just via a letter, which is what many managers do when they're hit with these charges. They just provide a letter outlining what it is that uh, their version of events was. But I guess he wants to be face to face with them because the the accusation of shoving a referee or shoving the fourth official rather uh, is a little bit more serious and could uh, carry some uh, heftier consequences than just some normal misconduct charges. So I guess he's going to go and try and turn on the Arsene Wenger charm and see if uh, see if his ban will be reduced. I don't think there's any question that he is going to get a ban, and maybe by the time you've uh, listened to this, that ban has been dished out, but we'll see. We'll see. So it's been an interesting week for Arsene Wenger, interesting week for Granit Xhaka as well, who was uh, sent off. Now uh, gets a four-game ban because of his second sending off of the season. We did touch on this on the Arscast Extra on... Uh, Monday with James but of course uh, there was another incident during the week where he was accused of abusing an airport worker at Heathrow Airport there was a bit of a set to um, when his I think his brother-in-law or his girlfriend's brother wasn't allowed on a flight and uh, he took exception to this there were words said Larson Wenger says that he completely and categorically denies uh, the the substance of the allegations when the Met Police reported it, it said, uh, you know, the, the, they were called because it had been reported to them, at least, that somebody had been racially abused and Xhaka went and spoke to them. Arsene Wenger at his press conference yesterday said that he had spoken to Granite Xhaka, who categorically denied that he had used any kind of racist language uh, towards the airport worker in question. Now, he didn't necessarily deny that there had been an argument or some words said, but he denied that there have been any racist connotations to it. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. Police inquiries are are ongoing, as far as we know, and we'll just have to wait and see. But apparently he was speaking in German. So the whole thing is like really an odd story that a third party who understood German, Swiss German perhaps, understood what he'd said under his breath or said at this point. I don't know. Anyway, it's the sort of incident you'd rather hadn't happened at all, of course, uh, regardless of whether he used racist language or not. Um, as frustrating as it can be to use airports at times, people are just doing their jobs and don't deserve to be abused for that, and certainly not abused either on the basis of uh, the colour of their skin or their sex. So we'll uh, obviously have to wait and see what happens when the uh, police finish their inquiries. And until such time, you know, as we have actual facts, I guess, rather than just stuff that's being reported or alleged to have been said. I don't think it's right for anybody to uh, to pass any judgments. So let's let's just wait and see what happens with uh, Granite Xhaka. He's going to be out of action for four games, as we know, because he's missed, uh, this was his second uh, straight red card of the season. And that's uh, something he's going to have to learn about as well. Interesting to see uh, Arsene Wenger talking about how he hadn't mastered the art of tackling uh, and didn't think that he ever would. His advice to him was uh, to stay up, which, you know, he meant stay on his feet rather than jumping in. Um, So maybe when he comes back from this uh, latest suspension, uh, that will be something that's uh, part and parcel of his game. So this weekend, we're playing Southampton in the FA Cup. And I got to say, I always say it, I love the FA Cup. But I tell you what I don't like. I don't like 5.30 kickoffs on a Saturday evening. I can't explain how much I don't like them. They're a pain in the arse. I mean, there's lots of things out there in the world that I don't like, you know, like Phil Collins or dolphins or cloves or being late or 
people who are late or people who are sitting in the favorite seat I have in this bar I go to most weekends. I don't like it when they're sitting in, in my seat. I don't like cauliflower or bringing my car to the NCT, which is the national car test, which it has to go for this month, which is really irritating. Uh, people who play music on their phones. You know those? When you're sitting on the bus and they play music on their phones and you just use some headphones, you wankers. What about mouses? Meese, mices that run out of batteries. I've got an Apple mouse. It's called a magic mouse. It's not fucking magic, is it, if it runs out of batteries all the time? For fuck's sake, Apple. Michael Owen doing co-commentary. I don't like that. Scorpions in my shoes. I really have a big problem with that. People who don't pick up after their dogs. DJs who talk like this and laugh at their own jokes all the time. (laughs) I don't like those guys one little bit. Owls. I wouldn't trust an owl as far as I could fucking throw him, to be perfectly honest. What about the movie Interstellar? I don't like that. The guy travels through space and time for three fucking hours and ends up behind his own bookcase. Get to fuck. Seriously. What about the price of printering? Don't like that. I don't like things that are orange. Most things that are orange anyway. Oranges I quite like, but anything else that's orange, you know, I'm not a fan of at all. What about sitting in traffic or having to purchase underwear? I think underwear should be a human right. You should be supplied the kind of underwear that you want every year by the government. You should have enough underwear to get you through the year. If I ever ran for political office, that would be my manifesto. That would be the main part of my campaign. Free underwear for everyone. Not just scratchy, itchy underwear, but no, nice underwear. And you'd have enough to get you through the year. For ladies and gentlemen as well. I think I'd uh, think I'd be a shoe-in on a platform like that. I mean, I am just talking about, like, functional underwear here. I'm not talking about if you want to go out and buy something, you know, special or sexy. No, that's not, that's not the government's job. We're not here to supply you with, you know, lingerie or leather thongs for gentlemen who like to wear them. No, no, this is just underwear to get you through the week, to make your life just a little bit easier. Phone calls. I don't like phone calls. And I tell you what else I don't like. I don't like whenever it is that I order food online or ring up a pizza or whatever it is. They can never fucking find my house because Google Maps says my road is a cul-de-sac, which part of it is, but I'm not in the cul-de-sac bit. And they always go in and say, hi, I can't find your house. We're looking for number 23 and there's no 23. And I go, oh God, there is a 23. There is. It's just, you know, not in the cul-de-sac. I said that in the fucking order, but there you go. And I don't like 5.30 kickoff on a Saturday evening. They're just disruptive. They're badly timed, and that's it. I don't like them. And two of our games in March have been moved to 5.30 kickoffs as well, which is irritating to me, because have I mentioned I don't like 5.30 kickoffs. But we've got a 5.30 kickoff this weekend against Southampton in the FA Cup. We might, on the far side of my chat with Ken, have a little bit of a uh, chat about the team news and everything else that's available. But look... Let's get on with the show and let's get on with the good chats with uh, Ken Early. We're talking about football, we're talking about FIFA, we talk about Pogba, we talk about money, China, the Premier League title race, whether it's over or not, whether big things need to happen. Of course they do, we know that, but we, you know, it's a wide-ranging conversation. So settle down or keep walking the dog, walk the dog a bit longer, keep driving along the road, stay on the boat, whatever it is that you're doing when you're listening to this podcast. This is me and Ken Early from Second Captains. All right, delighted to welcome back to the show, um, mid-season chat with uh, the man who helped us kick off the season from second captains, Ken Early. Hi. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I am well, and you? Very good. Good. How are you you enjoying this Premier League season so far? I was. I mean, I've been enjoying it. I think it's actually been good, although I was enjoying it more before Chelsea 
sort of put so much distance between themselves mm. and everyone. And now it's kind of like, well, yeah. I mean, there's a possibility, there's a small possibility of a, you know, massive Chelsea meltdown and kind of exciting title race, but it looks, the way they've been going, yeah. it looks as though they'll win quite easily now. It, it's funny though, I mean, they haven't had any sort of significant bad run of form um, mm. and you look at the look at the table it looks a little bit insurmountable doesn't it they've only lost the teams directly b- below them in the table right so Arsenal, Tottenham and Liverpool are the only three teams who beat them yeah and um, which which is always a, bit, a little bit annoying if a, if a champion if a champion team loses to all the other teams <laughs> you know what I mean but, but just beats everybody else yeah Okay, they, they they win on points, but there's always something a bit unsatisfying about that type of champion, I think. Uh, you know, when, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but you know this kind of thing where, where if you lose to the teams that you beat, yeah, uh, okay, it's a marathon, not a sprint, blah, blah, but, you know, you'd like to see them really prove... I mean, they, they did have that massive win against Man United. Yeah. But, you know, Man United are only sixth. So, yeah, um, yeah so they've still got to kind of... I think show show a couple of really good performances. I mean, they've been really consistent. It's obviously mm. like I mean, I think when we were talking the last time, I was a little bit skeptical of whether Antonio Conte would have an immediate positive impact. And well, it wasn't necessarily that. immediate, though, was it? It was like the three nil defeat to Arsenal that, yeah. that that sparked him into a bit of a rethink. Yeah. And when you looked at them that day, yeah. the idea that they would then go on a thirteen game winning streak was just. You know, it was as ridiculous as anything else that's going on in the world right now. Yeah, but they've managed to just find uh, what they're doing is not complicated. Mm. It's not like Guardiola. You know, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that type of. Oh, you know, we've got to unlearn what we've learned, and we've got to reconstitute everything about the game. It's just like okay, your defenders, your attackers, and give um, it to Costa. Yeah, and and, and, and head the ball away. Mm. And uh, I, I, and I think one of the things is that everybody had forgotten, well, not everybody, but certainly I had forgotten just how good a lot of these players are from their previous season when they'd, you know, Hazard. It was like, well, Hazard clearly doesn't want to play for Chelsea. Costa doesn't want to play for Chelsea. They didn't have David Luiz mm. at that stage, and they've obviously signed Kante, who is arguably the key player in the Premier League. You know, if you look at what's happened with his, ever since he's arrived, he's basically been at the top of the league. Um, uh, and Courtois Courtois was, was again uh, talking about Madrid oh it's such an amazing city you know Atletico or Real doesn't really matter mm. and and now Courtois is kind of playing again like the like the the goalkeeper that originally played for Atletico that everyone was worried about Chelsea saying oh my god this is never going to let in another goal yeah. so um, so those players have returned to form which for which I suppose Conte uh, deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, but the, you've also got to look at the other side of that, is that why were they so dismal the previous season? And obviously, th- we go back to Mourinho and the mm. self-destruction that, that went on there. That yeah. It was much more to, to do with him and not wanting to play for him than not wanting to play for Chelsea. If yeah. he had stayed, you could see those guys going out the door, but... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah he, he, he made an unbelievable mess of it. He really, <laughs> he really made an unbelievable mess of it, and I just love what's happening now this season. You know, Mourinho is 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 uh, sixth with Manchester United, yeah, who have the most expensive squad in the world. They have, they, you know, they've, you know, CIES Football Observatory did the study on it, and they have them. They have the most expensive squad by both transfer fees and by uh, wages. Yeah, and it's like. 
this is this is another horrible underperformance from a team that's this good. You give him, I suppose, a little bit of slack for the fact that he's just taken over. But you know, this whole idea that he he'd he'd kind of wandered into a wasteland, like he's trying to. It's like a post-apocalyptic scenario, and he's trying to <laughs> he's trying to rebuild civilization, like in yeah. this. It's just, it's just nonsense. No, you know? it's, yeah, it's true. And they're on. It's been quite funny, hasn't it? Because they they had this bad run of form, and we might touch on some of the the form that the other teams have shown. But you know, they've been consistently winning games over the last uh, number of weeks, and they still haven't gone anywhere up the table. They're in the same position. It's because everybody's winning those games. Well, mm. apart from Liverpool, I suppose, are the team that seems to have problems. Mm. You know, winning Swansea. You know, winning, winning the game against Swansea at home, sort of thing. But. Uh, all the top teams have done that. I mean, I think we are. Are we still in the situation? Maybe it's maybe not not anymore this week. Where all of the top four teams this season, if you go back to you know the twenty two game mark last season, all of them would be top of the league with their current yeah. points. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Certainly, Chelsea would be miles out in front. Um, I'm pretty sure Arsenal would be top. Tottenham and Liverpool, I'm not so sure. Mm. But you know, we're not, we're talking about level, uh, and, and this season the standard is is evidently, you know, 10 points. It's maybe going to be, well, it's going to be 10 points higher, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's just a sort of reassertion of the, the rich teams, you know, with bigger squads, mm. um, kind of putting down that rebellion of last season. Yeah, I mean, it does show, though, how how tight things are. Obviously, you, you look at what Chelsea have done and their, their run is pretty much unprecedented. And, and when any team goes on and wins, whatever, 13 games, that's 30, 39 points. Yeah. You know, in one run, it's just it's very difficult to keep up. But you know, there is there is still a little bit of wiggle room for those chasing. But Arsenal have had a little bit of a, a bad spell when they lost to Everton and Man City. Manchester City have had their problems. Tottenham had a run earlier in the season when they only won one in nine. Liverpool, as he said, are are having their difficulties at the moment. Manchester United uh, started the season really poorly and they found a little bit of form. But if you look at the difference between United in sixth. And Arsenal in second is still only six points. Mm. So it is remarkably tight uh, mm. when you take all that into account. Yeah, although what's the gap between United and isn't Everton in seventh? I mean, it might be closer to 10 points. Mm. You know? So, so there's kind of that group is obviously separated. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's hard. Obviously, the Champions League now becomes a thing. Although the Champions League is a prize. No one wants now. It's not as important anymore, is it? Because you don't need the money. It was a case yeah. that when you when you finished in the top four and you uh, got Champions League football, it provided you with this financial boost that, that helped you separate yourselves from all the rest of the teams, which isn't there anymore because of the money that's sloshing around the Premier League. Well, it, it used to be like a transformative amount of money where it would have a it would have a huge effect on the quality of your squad, the size mm. of your squad that, that you could actually support, uh, the type of player who would want to join you. Yeah. Um, uh, and the, you know, I mean, what if your turnover is a hundred million, and you're getting you know twenty five million from the Champions League? That's a huge percentage. Yeah. If your turnover is four hundred million, and the Champions League is twenty five million, you, million ago, yeah. you, you've gone from like it being tw- an extra twenty five percent to to it being you know an extra eight or ten percent, which isn't enough to make uh, to improve your squad to the extent that you can actually be competitive in both. Yeah. It's really difficult now. So so it's kind of like it's viewed now as this like, like a leech attached to you that's like draining your life force as you're trying to concentrate on, you know, doing well in the Premier League and suddenly you have to mm. play these Champions League games against these silly teams like Paris and Roma and, you know, oh, who are these guys? You know, what, yeah, yeah, why yeah. are we wasting our time? 
with these midweek kickabouts. Sure. You know, that's that's kind of the attitude that seems to have crept in to the Premier League. Which do you, think, a, do you think it's lost its luster, the Champions League, in terms of, certainly in the group stages, it all feels very familiar. There isn't an awful lot of excitement about it. Um, and I do wonder, because it was one of the things that people always said, you, you have to be in the Champions League to keep your best players. Mm. But, I mean, Chelsea have showed when they plummeted out of the Champions League and Manchester United to an extent yeah, as well. Pogba, you know. Pogba, yeah. Pogba was Pogba a world yeah. record transfer and he's not playing the Champions League and he doesn't care. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose ideally you want. I mean, has it lost? Like, I think it's still the 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 team that wins it can say we're the best in Europe. You yeah, know? and and you know if you put if you put the English, Spanish, German, Italian teams together and the Spanish teams keep winning, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to make the argument that oh, you know, it's embarrassing. It, it is actually embarrassing for the Premier League to be so much richer and to be. Every season, just this this same thing happened. Like they, I mean, I'm wondering if maybe it's it's reaching a tipping point now because, you know, you can see Ronaldo slowing down. Mm. You can see that Messi. I mean, Messi is going to be 30. Suarez was 30 yesterday, I think. Yeah, uh, or the other day. Happy birthday, Luis. <laughs> uh, Shane Long was 30, of course. Happy <laughs> birthday, Shane, as well, of course. <laughs> uh, but so, so maybe these these amazing players that have been there the last you know few seasons, you know, are they necessarily going to be able to replace them? You know, they'd be doing well. I mean, you you can you can throw a lot of money at, at players, but they're not necessarily going to be as good as as Ronaldo. You you could break break the world transfer record. And you yeah. might you, the player you get is almost certainly not going to be as good. You know, yeah. you're doing your best, and there just isn't another one. Um, some, uh, you know, you, you you figure that eventually, eventually, this kind of gravitational force of all the Premier League money is going to have to make a, an impact. It's going to have to sort of drive them to the semi-finals or finals. Sure, but like, as of yet, there's no. I mean, do you, do you expect that to happen this season? I, I certainly don't. Well, it's very well. From Maybe if Chelsea were in there. Maybe, but I mean, Manchester City—they're still in it. They are. I Arsenal. Mean, everyone's yeah. still in it apart from Tottenham. Well, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to see uh, Arsenal do it, mm-hmm. um, given, given the opposition once more, you know, Bayern yeah. or Barcelona. Again, yeah. that comes down to, or uh, back to the tediousness of, of the Champions it's, League and the repetitiveness of the, of the fixtures in a way. The stage is, is, is so boring, you know, but what can, what can you do about that? Like, I mean, they, it's, it's hard to see what they can do. I mean, this is, this is what's happened. It's just, it's like this, uh, this force of, of like, uh, you know, what's the word? Essentially, the, the inequality in the game. I mean, you've got teams mm. which are just too, which are like invincible, like giants, you know, which crush Champions League. It's it's impossible for, it's it's impossible to imagine Barcelona not coming through a Champions League group. Yeah. You know, maybe they might even, they might lose a game. They might like go to Kazan or something and lose. Because it's cold. And yeah, and they, they don't, don't want to be there. Shit, yeah. and, uh, but you know they're going to come through. It's, it does not, so there's no uh, sense of, this game mattering, this mm. results mattering. You know, it's it's just the same teams are going to get through, and then okay, you, you do you're going to get some good games. You know, the, the probably the best games of the season are the Champions League semi-finals. You know, there's but it, but again, it's it's always the same kind of the Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and plus one. You know, yeah. I suppose Atletico put in a, a few times, but like that is a bit uh, boring. And the English teams kind of deserve a bit of blame for how miserably they've underperformed. I think they've been pathetic. They've been really pathetic, but from their point of view, it's becoming less and less of a priority. It's just, well, the main thing is this 
is this Premier League. The main thing is finishing in the top four of the Premier League. Yeah. So we can get back into the competition we don't want to be and get the money for that. <laughs> but mainly stay competitive in the competition we uh, are are now focused on. Yeah. So, you know, I, they can't they can't claim to be the best in the world unless they win the Champions League. Mm. Um, but at the moment, they don't seem focused enough on it. Yeah. And the money in the Premier League is obviously causing... Uh, causing some issues as well I think in the long term when you look at it and you've spoken about it on, on the podcast on the Second Captain's podcast about viewing figures and attention spans mm. and that there, there seems to be this assumption that it will just keep going it will just keep going and I think maybe we spoke about this a year ago or two years ago that it felt really like a bit of a bubble like a housing bubble and at mm. some point it, it's going to crash it is, a, it is a crazy bubble I mean if you got like whole city getting more money than than, you know, Byron for TV, which, which they get way more. Yeah. That's obviously wrong. <laughs> just, you know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, the only thing is, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's another bubble uh, coming up that they can sort of, you know, help to inflate their bubble for a little bit more, which is the Chinese, like, financial bubble. Sure. Uh, you know, when you've got Chinese uh, businessmen paying, like, how much was Jackson Martinez? Like forty million. Oh, I, I mean, uh, buy, buying West Brom for how much was was West Brom two hundred million or something crazy like that? I mean, what is going on? Why? <laughs> why? I was talking to a friend, friend of mine, talking about this. He's like, why? If you had, if you were a Chinese businessman mm. with and you had like two hundred million pounds, you know, whatever, you know, two hundred one million dollars or whatever that is now, and you're, you're like, well, how will I invest my money? Why would you buy West Brom? That's like, he was comparing it to when, you know, 2006, when Irish uh, property uh, tycoons started buying up, you know, Claridge's and all, all these <laughs> sort of trophy hotels in London. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're they like, oh, we've got more money than brains, like a lot more. And we need to, <laughs> and we need to show how, how important we are now by buying up all of these symbols of Britannia. Uh, with all the money that we have, which is, you know, evidently infinite. And, and everyone knows how that worked out. But it was a symptom of, like, an underlying mm. craziness, yeah. like a, a, an underlying thing which had lost its lost the logic. Yeah. And this this Chinese thing, I mean, you know, West Brom for 200 million, Vancouver property prices or whatever. <laughs> like, Vancouver property prices yeah. are nearly as expensive as... They spend nearly as much in, and more on those than, than on football players. So there's something strange is going on there, and I don't know if it's good. Yeah. But from the Premier League's point of view, <laughs> if we can just... It's, it's increasingly difficult, i found, over the last few months, to concentrate on any of this stuff because of the crazy stuff that's happening everywhere. And it's kind of like, okay, usually the football kind of... Is, is an it, escape. Is to absorb yeah, 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 yeah. My, my, now I'm kind of like, what's going on? Well, I mean, it is. The, 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 the China thing is a bit weird. And I think if you buy West Brom for 200 million euros or 200 million pounds, it's probably like 2% of what you've got because you just go, I'll just buy that for the laugh. Well, maybe. Know? Maybe it is. Maybe I'd say it's just it probably like, is. Because oh, we, have, we literally don't, we can't find enough foreign places to just bung money into just to keep it outside of China for what yeah, God knows I mean, what's going to happen here. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it is something that the Premier League are gonna, at some point are going to have to contend with. I think they're trying to put some rules in over there. You can only have three foreign players and some of these huge contracts that have been, that have been offered. Mm. But I mean, going back to Costa, for example, and the stuff that happened with him and his, you know, back injury in inverted commas mm. uh, and the offer that he had on the table from from China. Yeah. I mean, how much how much do you put in 
in that story being accurate that you know here's Diego Costa playing for a team that looks like it's going to win the Premier League at a canter and is his head really turned in January because of the money that's coming his way well I find it's strange you don't think. you don't think it's well well something obviously did happen because mm. he missed he missed some yeah. missed two games did he yeah he uh so there was there was evidently uh an incident of some kind at the training ground mm. you know there was a bit of a uh, an angry exchange and uh i mean so so whether that was because uh, of this uh, Chinese offer, which you know apparently does legitimately exist, whether it was whether that was the issue that led to the bust up. I mean, I think the reason yeah. Costa was out of the team was because of the bust up. Yeah, was because you know he he had sh- had failed to show the appropriate level of respect to you know the training the the coaching staff and all that kind of stuff, um, and he's back in because they've obviously sure. sorted that out. That doesn't necessarily mean that you know he's not he's definitely not interested in going to China now. Would mm. he be interested in going there? I think absolutely. Why wouldn't he? I mean, he was being offered like five times his, his salary. Mm. And that's, I mean, his salary is already pretty big. So we're talking about a lot of money. Um, he's already in a, a place which to him is as foreign as it gets. I mean, you see, Costa is, is one of these players who just steadfastly refuses to speak English. You know, it's not like um, Robert Perez or something who, you know, mm. was just a bit quiet and you know, could probably understand what you were saying to him, but just preferred to speak in French. It's like, oh, it's like I'm not, he's more like Tevez. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't want to... Yeah, I'm I mean, not learning this shit. But it's like, Te- you know, Tevez, uh, Tevez is obviously now in China as the best paid player, in the best paid sportsman in the world. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a golfer who makes more than him, I don't know. But in terms of a salaried sportsman, he's top now. He's more than LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I can't believe this. Uh, I mean, if you saw his, what he was saying to the Boca fans... You know, because he was at he he had left Juventus. I mean, he had an amazing last season at Juventus. He was Serie A Player of the Year. He was in the Champions League final, won like the double, mm. um, played really well. It was like, okay, I just feel like I'm home now. Like I've, I think I've done enough. You know, I've won everything in Europe. Uh, he did win the Champions League with with Man United before, uh, and he was like, okay, I'm going to go home now. And one of the things that he said when he arrived back in in Buenos Aires was I'm so glad that I don't have to speak English anymore <laughs> or you know I'll never I'll never have to speak that again like to him the sound of English is just great on his nerves so what I'm saying is that it seems as though what, Diego Costa like why would you want to you're in Chelsea fashionable West London you know it's a great great setup mm. you know why would you want to leave that to go to China you know where you probably have to wear a mask over your face to you know the smog and all this kind of stuff Sure. and he's like look you know London ain't all that you know, yeah. you think this place is, I feel, I feel like I might as well be on Mars where I am. So I don't feel as though going to China is really that much of a leap for me. Yeah. You know, I, so I won't be able to understand what anyone's saying to me. You know, I can't, it's already the, the case. The case yeah. I suppose there's probably not a big Portuguese speaking, where is it, Tianjin or where, I forget which, the city of the club that he was offered to, there probably isn't a massive Portuguese speaking community there but like is Costa that much of a social guy is he Is he out mm. actually he kind of is isn't he that's, I, I that's don't know yeah I think things. there's been some suggestions DJ, yeah, DJ yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know but I mean for you know he's a guy he 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 he, he uh, abandoned his homeland for 
career purposes. <laughs> sure. Know, he left, he, he decided to become a, a Spanish, Spanish player. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now, you know. It's, so we put nothing past him, that's basically I, I, But I, I, w- no. I would, if I was him, I would go. Yeah. But I mean, is there a sporting consideration though? Or do you think they even think about that? Because What's I remember going to see, well, the sporting consideration is I remember seeing uh, a video of uh, Ramirez and uh, after he went to China and it was like, Ramirez scores brilliant overhead kick. And uh, the, the video was like, it was, I was expecting like match footage and it was a video uh, of somebody sitting in the in the crowd with a phone or a camcorder or something. Yeah. And behind the goal, it wasn't a stand or a terrace. It was a wall. It was like in a fucking schoolyard. It looked, it looked just ridiculous. So you know, when you're a, a top level footballer, I guess you have to balance the, the, the money that's on offer and the money that you can earn with some enjoyment from the game, oh, or geez. some, you know, do, would anybody set out in their career to win the, the, the Chinese Premier League or whatever the cup is there? At least there's some prestige with the, the, the football in Europe, even if it is as alien to him as China would be. Uh, there, there obviously is, but I mean, Costa's already won, you know, La Liga. He's won, mm. he's won the Premier League. He didn't win the Champions League. He was in the final, but he's kind of done a, he's done a lot. Yeah. But he's kind of proved, look, I'm, I'm a serious player. You know, he was... Was he top scorer in the... I'm not sure if he... I think he was top scorer in Spain. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if he was top scorer in... I don't think he was, actually, in England. He started out looking like he was going to be and then tailed off the season they won the league. Mm. Maybe he'll do it this season. But he's kind of like, what more do I need to really prove here? Yeah. Uh, I mean, is it... A, you, <clears throat> you're talking about the sporting uh, question. I mean, I saw Michael Ballack had some... Michael Ballack was talking about this during the week and he was saying, look... From his point of view, you know, this is what that's what it's all about. Don't forget, Michael Ballack's Michael Ballack grew up in like Karl Marxstadt. That's where that's where he grew up, right? He he grew up with a certain ethos uh, <laughs> until he was thirteen years old. He was in like the Sportschule of you know um, this uh, in in East Germany, yeah. and he was taught to value certain things over other things. He was like, oh, this is. How could you leave behind the sporting excellence of of European football? I'm not saying, of course, that it will always be this way. You know, the, yeah. the market regulates. I, I recognise maybe in the future it will not be Europe, but Europe is the pinnacle. And why would you want to not? Why would you want to play anywhere else? Mm. That's you know, okay. That's just, that's kind of sporting values. But this is not. This is no longer really a sport. You know, it's like it's becoming less and less. I mean, the World Cup is not a sport. It's not. It's not about sport anymore. Yeah, the World Cup used to be the most amazing sporting event in the world. Now it's just this joke. It's like, uh, you know, how many, 48 teams now? This It's just like, uh, hey, let's all come along and, you know, here's yeah. some money. We'll give you all some money. Here's some hotel deals. You know, buy some hotel packages. Um, you know, let's sell some TV rights. That's all it is. Yeah. The, the, as a sporting contest, like the, the players, I don't think even take it seriously anymore. They recognize it for what it is. You know, it's maybe good for marketing. Yeah, you know, I'm sure scoring that goal in the final was worth a lot of money to Mario Götze. Maybe that's a maybe that's an extreme example. Götze scoring the the winning goal in the World Cup final for his country. Yeah, that, I mean that's good. Like you know, <laughs> something he can be proud of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In addition to the fact that it probably helps him to make more more money, you yeah. know, off the back of it. Like, but it's it's not like FIFA's attitude to it is they don't they obviously don't care about the sporting side. If mm-hmm. they did, they would be cutting teams out of the World Cup, not adding them. Yeah, you know, they would be. They'd be like, okay, okay, we want to have a short elite tournament. 
we, you know, where players can perform at the highest level. Instead, they've said, let's just have a tournament with everybody. The, so, so what you've also done there is ruin your your qualifying uh, campaign. Not ruin them, but you've di- you've diluted the, the qualifiers as well, like the Euro 20, uh, 2016 qualifiers. Yeah, we're we're kind of good from Ireland's point of view because we were like the race for third is 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 competitive. It's us and yeah. Scotland, you know, and we <laughs> so that was good, but like. You know, Germany lost to Ireland. Did they look bothered? Like they knew it didn't matter. Yeah. So, so, so all of international football is kind of becoming this waste of time. But they've been doing that for for years. That it used to be the case that the, the, it was seen as the very top of the game was playing international football. Was seen as the top of the game. You see it now, even when people are referred to as England international or French international, as if that still should be the thing that defines them. Mm. But uh, it's clear that when, when you look at what FIFA have done, the way that they've acted, that more and more it, it becomes, it's just not not good football. No, it's not. On it's, top it's, of everything else. It's, it's, it's crap compared to the, to compared to, and that's, that, that is because of the, the thing that we were talking about previously, like the, I mean, the, the effect in the Champions League of, you know, a team like, like look at Barcelona. Barcelona have, the, their, their front three is the best player in Argentina, the best player in Uruguay and the best player in Brazil. All mm. three of them together just in one part of one team now okay that that was just not possible before you didn't have teams like that before you know you might have, a team might have uh, you know what was Napoli team had like Maradona he was the best player in the world but like look at that you know the other players Careca was like a decent striker you know Alamao was like a decent Brazilian midfielder mm. it wasn't like a global all-stars you know it wasn't yeah. so, so you get such concentrations of talent now at these elite clubs and I mean you include the top Premier League clubs in those as well. They're way better than any international team. Like previously, the the international like the international team of Brazil, you know, that was where that was where you saw the biggest concentration of talent that you could see in one team. Yeah, you know that you you had to look at the at, at the international side of a, of a country like Italy or Germany or, or Brazil. And now the club sides are way better than those teams. Mm. And and it's like whether FIFA recognised that or not. I mean FIFA. I think it's it's kind of unrelated, but FIFA's whole attitude has been, oh, let's just try and, for political reasons, you know, whoever, whether it's Sepp Blatter or Infantino, you know, to get vote, voting blocks on side, expand the tournament, bring in more teams, mm. which obviously, you know, it's like printing money, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it, it's like we're, we're going to print off a few more World Cup matches and distribute them. You know, the value of these matches is, is going down. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of good you know, for a country like Ireland, say we're in the World Cup, obviously the day we play in the World Cup, everyone will be, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, we'll all be watching. Mm. There'll be like two million people watching on TV. Mm. Um, as a sporting contest, the sports side of it is irrelevant. It's it's just an event. It's like... Uh, but know. I mean, I, you think back to even to 1990 and the reason why it was such a thing was because of how difficult it was mm. to qualify. It was, it was high level it achievement. Was, yeah, like, exactly. It was serious, you know. It was like, you know... Whatever, whatever happens in the Olympics, you know what? What, what are the other big sporting contests in the world? You know, this is this was right up there, and now it's just like, pff, yeah. come on, yeah. you know, a semi-interested Germany, like a, a totally uninterested Germany, I have to say, in mm. our in our World Cup group, we beat them, we beat the world champions. It was, it was it's great, like it's an amazing result, but like we all know, if Germany had needed to get a result in that game, we would have been doing very well, yeah, you know, to win. Sure, if they if they really had needed to 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 do something, sure. Uh, you know how? The, I mean, the the Euros, the the most recent Euros, Italy against Spain. I remember Italy beat Spain, played quite well, 
you know, that was one of those big Conte victories, mm. and he's going nuts. Conte cared more about it than anybody else in the stadium, by miles. <laughs> and if you, if you saw how little the Spanish players cared, and how relieved they seem to me to be out of this nightmare, like with, like they've been trapped in this international football thing. Like, the, at first they were seduced by the dream, you know, winning the trophy at last, you know, that was, was amazing. We've done, we've done what Spain could never do. Mm. We've, you know, we've, we finally, we've done it. And, and then it's like, oh, we've got to do it again. And oh, no, we're having another tournament now. They just wanted, they, they had no interest anymore. Yeah. It's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. This doesn't, compared to what we do in club football, uh, you know, this is just, I mean, you see, even, even club football, we were talking about whether it's a sport. Like, look at, it's the different priorities are taking over. You know, you saw the, the Man United Liverpool game the other day. Um, mm. Hashtag Pogba, you know? It's like this. It's like this cult game. of personality. Yeah, it's like it's like the the purpose. It's almost the purpose of this game has become. It it now exists as a kind of a marketing vehicle for anything Pogba or yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you see, you see the 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 money league results came out the other day. You know, Manchester United are now at the top or whatever. Mm. And if you look at if you look down through, if you look at United's like breakdown, it's like fifty three percent of the money comes from commercial revenue yeah. or com- com- all the deals they do, all the sponsorship deals which means that their main the main thing that Manchester United produce now or the thing that they're getting most of their money from the thing that pays most of their you know income is not selling like football matches or football results or you know goals or points or Premier League titles or any of that it's mm. literally selling all the people who are watching Manchester United matches to like Mr. Potato, you know, or Mr. Potato, or <laughs> yeah. Castillero El Diablo, yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, who, who are all, all the other? Um, there is a devil glowing sponsors they have. Exactly, there's, there's a, <laughs> they, but that's it. It becomes about the function of Manchester United now, as seen by the people who actually run the club, mm. um, Ed Woodward and, and Richard Arnold, is a, an audience generating machine. It's not about winning football games. Football is not really the priority. The priority is audience. You know, how can we uh, get the most people watching? How can we generate the highest ratings? Because the ratings are what make the difference between us making, you know, a lot between us being the top of the money league and only third. And while we're top, we ain't never getting sacked. There you go. There's part one of the conversation with Ken Early from Second Captains. We're going to take a very short break time for you to uh, not make a sandwich, make a cup of tea, have another beer, whatever it is you want to do. Uh, We've got to take a short break. We're right back and we pick up the conversation more or less. No, not more or less. Exactly where it left off there. I, uh, I should have shut up. I, uh, I regret everything. I, uh, I, uh, I should have shut up. It was nothing uh, bad. I should have shut up. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. And it's, it's quite funny because obviously if you've got more money and you're generating more revenue, then you can make your team more competitive and you can spend the money on the team as Manchester United have done. And, you know, maybe they are a bit more competitive, but they're still sixth. Yeah. And I see sometimes, um, you know, there's, there's obviously more information and more analysis of football teams and football clubs than there ever was. And one of the things that, that you see... Uh, Arsenal fans or certain uh, sections of Arsenal fans who are invested in this kind of thing bemoaning the lack of commercial income that the club makes in comparison to clubs like Manchester United. I don't think anybody really expects Arsenal to make as much money as Manchester United simply because they're they're so huge uh, that there's no way that, you know, Arsenal could win the Premier League for the next 10 years mm. and they wouldn't be as big a club as, as Manchester United in terms of the global reach, etc. But it's then trying to find that balance. Well, okay, you, you actually want the club to become more of a, or less of a sporting uh, organization and more of a commercial and marketing one. It's trying to find that balance between, okay, yeah, if you do sell more Mr. Potato Chips or, yeah. or, or, or wine sponsorships or whatever, then you can invest that back in the team. But even so, there's no there's no guarantee that by doing that you become any more successful as a football club. No, and in, 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 in some ways it makes it more difficult, I think, to be to be successful as a, as a football club because of the it's like what was happening at Real Madrid for ages though, you know the Galacticos must play yeah and and you know the manager might be like well you know Beckham is actually not that good like and there's nowhere he fits in this team mm. and it's like well you're sacked <laughs> we'll, we, we'll just have to find a manager who is going to play David Beckham yeah you know and, and that becomes the 
that, that sort of becomes a priority. Like, hashtag Pogba, I thought was amazing. Pogba, was, Pogba had a terrible game. I didn't think it was an unrelated fact that his name was on all these hornings. You know, he... I, I kind of I was wondered what Alex Ferguson would have made of this. You know, say you're say you're Ferguson. Ferguson doesn't have doesn't have these. This was all, you know. He grew up well before this kind of yeah. attitude took over. Actually, this game is about stars and it's about attracting eyeballs and it's about selling those eyeballs to sponsors. That's what football is about. Ferguson kind of grew up in a time of muscular Christianity. You know, boys club, <laughs> boys club hazing and, yeah. you know, uh, Presbyterian values and all this kind of stuff. And he was he was very focused on this, the sporting aspect of it. Yeah. He would have seen a player who like, a, a you know, a young player who is under enormous pressure. You know, like the like the whole stadium is, is like geared up to pressurize him. You know, it's like hashtag Bobo, what's he gonna do now? And yeah. the answer is get the ball and like worry, oh my god, I've got to do something amazing. I feel like I've got to do something amazing every time I got the ball. Mm-hmm. Result is that he gets the ball, dawdles on it and gets robbed and actually ends up being their worst player. Mm. You know, I get give gave gave away a penalty. He's like having a meltdown, right? He's under so much pressure. Like I think Ferguson maybe would have taken him off. But I'm sure that he would have been like I mean, I don't know, this is the, the the imaginary Alex Ferguson who always does everything right. You know, this kind of figure yeah. who you, you yeah. hear in punditry over the last few years. He always did everything right. Sure, <laughs> sure. But, but the idea of one player being singled out and put on such a pedestal in a pressure game like that, I think he would have seen as like, this is warping what what should be happening in my team? Well, I mean, didn't it? Wasn't he like famous for you know young guys coming in and they've got their contract, they got a bit of money, and they come in like driving Pogba? Or, yeah, I mean, he, he was he the guy. Booted, he, yeah. he booted Pogba. <laughs> what the? You, did you see that there was there was an interview with Simon Cooper? Did an interview with Mino Raiola where Raiola described the the interaction that he'd had with Ferguson. He was in the office with Ferguson. And he's like, you know. Uh, uh, you know, we're not we're not signing this. I have two Chihuahuas. They would not sign this contract. And Ferguson's like, "You're a twat." <laughs> but obviously, he didn't say twat, right? He, you yeah, know, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. he didn't say. That. But that was Ferguson's response. You, you know, you're, he he said that twice throughout. We know what he said instead of twat. But he's like, that was his. And, and Pop, then the club ends up buying Pogba back for like, <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, what a disaster! But but his attitude was no. This is you know, you, if if you think you're. If, if I give you this, it's like you're going to think you have to justify it. Every time you get the ball, it's going to be like, oh, well, sure. what are we going to do now? Will I score from 30 yards? Will I like, play, you know, will I? No, just pass the ball to the best position teammate, mm. dickhead. That's what this game is. Yeah. You know, you are not like, just because, but, but everything around Pogba is telling him, you are the star and now you have to justify it. And it's too much. It's That's not what football is. Yeah. But like, that's what it is becoming. Well, that's the marketing department calling the shots. The problem with Arsenal, by the way, is not that they don't have enough money, it's that they don't spend the money they have. And I mean, okay, maybe maybe there's wisdom in that. Maybe there's maybe their reasoning is look, we actually spend quite a lot of money. We've we you know we've got like a few forty million players. Yeah. Uh we've got a pretty good squad. Uh this is this this is the way we think is the most sensible way to you know, they they have quite a flat wage distribution. Mm. You know, where where you know they're not they're kind of paying everyone not the same but like there's there's, there's, there's not no much massive gaps yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> and they think that's obviously a good thing for team spirit whether it is or not I think that might be Arsene Wenger showing his age a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. these players seem to be comfortable with the idea of inequality in their in their wages you know uh, I always want like you know say the MLS where you'd have like uh, there was a story about Beckham in the when Beckham went to LA Galaxy, Grant Wall wrote a book about him, in which, which was mainly just Landon Donovan <laughs> uh, bitching about about Beckham, 
Uh, and one of the stories was like, he took his teammates for dinner, but all alligator arms, Beckham, couldn't like seem to reach down to his wallet to um, pay the bill. And like, he he's getting, you know, $5 million a year or when they announced his contract, it was like a $250 million contract, but yeah. obviously they included yeah. loads of sponsorship stuff. He, so he was making an enormous amount of money and some of his teammates were on like $25,000. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking, how can you, how, like I went to see Robbie Keane in an MLS Cup final a couple of years ago and he was getting paid 50 times as much as the defender, he was like, I, five million versus a hundred grand yeah. against the defender who he eventually in extra time got the better of. But like 50 times as much, that's crazy. How can you have these wealth differentials and not have a revolution in the dressing room. The answer is, all of those players hope to be, they, they put up with it on the basis that maybe mm. one day we'll make five million. You won't, you never will, but <laughs> but that's what, it's that delusion that sort of sure. keeps, it, keeps it in check. So maybe Arsenal need to recognise, look, if we play, if we paid Sanchez, you know, a crazy amount of money, it's not like Jenkinson is going to, is Jenkinson still there? Uh, just about, hanging on by his finger now. It's not like Jenkinson is going to be battering down the office or like printing pamphlets and urging revolution. Against <laughs> no, no one's going to, no one's going to give a shit about Jenkinson. The, the Carl Jenkinson revolution, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I think there's a, that's a good point and there are players who are clearly more valuable. I think most players in a squad will do that, but w- when it comes down to it, if Sanchez gets paid, let's say 300 grand a year, the reality of football and agents and the business side of the game is that someone like, you know, I take someone like Lauren Koscielny, who arguably is as important to Arsenal as Alexis Sanchez is in, in very different ways, obviously, mm. is going to come along and say, well, look, uh, that's all well and good that Alexis is getting that. And, you know, his performances merit that. But by the same token, my guy, mm. my guy shouldn't be paid half as much as him. You know, so there mm. is. There is that balance, and I think, you know, uh, when it comes to Ozil, when it comes to Sanchez, Arsenal are really going to have to push the boat out, but I think they might do it in slightly roundabout ways. You know, there are ways of paying players that aren't necessarily legal? just their salary. No, no, <laughs> legal, but just their salary, you know, so there'd be yeah. bonuses and, and image rights and, and all those kind of things. You Employee know, I think benefit trusts. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. they can invest in some uh, movie scheme or something. You oh, know, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. But look, I mean, what have you what have you made of Arsenal this season? Um, you know, looking at second. it from It's the- like, what's, how is this happening? How are they second? <laughs> I was watching the Burnley the other day. It's like, how is this, how is this team second? It's ridiculous. But you know, there, there they are. I mean, they've got the they've got the points. They've done the bit. They did. They did trash Chelsea. Um, I mean, they did. Stage. I mean, they they, they had a fourteen game unbeaten run after losing comically on the opening day of the season against Liverpool, mm. a game for which they were ridiculously and criminally underprepared for. Mm. Uh, they lost that game, but then didn't win fourteen games uh, without losing in the in the Premier League, they, and they, then and they then scored an equaliser. At Old Trafford, in the kings last of the late goals this season. An mm. amazing amount of late goals. How would you stand on that? Is that a team that isn't capable of winning games in ninety minutes, or a team that's strong and has character and can keep going right until the death? I think scoring late goals is always good. Yeah, like there's no. I don't see it as. I I I think if you're anyone who was who was looking at Arsenal's propensity to score late goals and saying, "Well, this is a sign of something not right." I mean, Jesus, like. How negative do you want to be? You know what I mean? The scoring late goals is it's always good. I mean, provided the, the match is close enough for the goal to matter to the result. Yeah. It always makes a huge difference to how everyone feels about the result. You score in the last minute, like Giroud at Old Trafford. Yeah. You know, um, to, to, to score. I mean, contrast the feeling that 
uh, Arsenal supporters would have felt when Giroud scored that goal compared to when Joe Allen scored the equaliser against Arsenal in the last minute the previous season you know yeah, and yeah. it's the same result basically you yeah. know it was like uh, you know a difficult away game against the you know you, there's a good possibility you're going to lose the game mm. you get you get a point it's you know it's not a bad result at all mm. um, but one of them feels a lot better than the other yeah for sure so scoring late goals is is like the best thing you can do I mean I, certainly when, when it was Manchester United who were doing it all the time I don't remember anyone saying well this is a sign of them being able to put teams away in the first 80 minutes sure it's, Fergie like, time nonsense. and all that like, yeah. yeah I mean if you can do it's I mean it's not as though Arsenal you know, over the last few years, have have been praised continually for how physically strong and relentless they are. Yeah. You no, know, that's not that's yeah. not something you hear a lot. Yeah, I mean, isn't that you know Wenger knows best that this sort of more quieter Twitter account, which is more quiet in recent years. I mean, he used to tweet a lot more, I think. Mm. But like, isn't the the little Twitter bio of the Arsene Wenger parody on Twitter is like, my players have you know exceptional. Uh, mental strength and quality. Yeah. They drop a little bit physically in the second second half, but you know, <laughs> and th- that was kind of like the perception of Arsenal. So if they're kind of doing something which is the opposite of that, then uh, it's got to be good. No, it is. I think it really is. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's not a coincidence when you can do it. You know, if it happens once, you go okay, you got out of jail. But there's been five or six games at least this season where late goals have either won it or or rescued a point and. Uh, you know, I think there is probably a little more character, a little more depth to the squad as well this season that, that hasn't been there. And also, I think uh, for a team that's criticised often about fitness and, and injuries having a, a huge impact, and there are obviously some injuries in, in, in the squad at the moment, I think that's inevitable in football. But they are capable of, of keeping going and battering down the opposition and, and getting a goal laid on. So for me, it's a really positive thing. Well, the big thing, uh, I suppose, now will be what happens against Bayern I think that's mm. I mean I know of the la- I mean Bayern even tweeted about it and Chelsea oh, though as we well. just broke our flights Chelsea when's, when's the Chelsea game February 4th so, so. so Chelsea play Liverpool and then Arsenal in successive matches mm. I mean that's going to be interesting I mean if they you know that could be a radically changed situation in the Premier League if those matches go a certain way yeah. but you know against Bayern this is the kind of this is the game that Arsenal always lose this is, this is losing this game I think makes Arsenal feel as though phew, we're still still the same, you know. Mm. It kind of they could really burst out of like this this um, feeling of helplessness that we're not we can't go beyond a certain level by beating Bayern, which I think is much more doable now than mm. it was under when Guardiola was the manager of Bayern. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I just think that Bayern are going to play. Arsenal will have more of the ball Arsenal than they I don't mean more than Bayern but more yeah. than they did when Guardiola was there yeah, yeah yeah it's just a different type of game like not as not as tense not as controlled I mean Ancelotti is like one of these managers who's like yeah come on players you, you're the footballers you sort it out you know <laughs> you know I, I don't mean to be to to belittle Ancelotti in any way he, yeah but, the, but his attitude is more yeah look I've got some great players here I'm not going to be a guy who, who who marches in and tells them exactly what to do you know they they know what to do you know, my my job is kind of to make sure everyone's getting on with everyone. Everyone's kind of up for the game, yeah. and you know, that's 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 his approach. Like he's that's what makes him quite successful wherever he goes. Yeah. Every, everybody gets along, and it's usually everyone looks back. Well, it was a happy time under Carlo. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, it's not as intense as Guardiola, but it's a bit more loose. Yeah. Like I think it gives Arsenal a bit more space to kind of they won't find mm. their weaknesses being hammered as 
you know, like Guardiola's, not just Bayern, but also Barcelona, one of the most amazing displays of like 20 minute bursts of football, I think I can remember, was Arsenal against Barcelona, or, or Barcelona rather, at the Emirates. Was it 20, 2010? Was it the game where Zlatan, Zlatan scored? Oh, there was, Zlatan scored, there was a couple of games, Zlatan scored twice and then Fabregas equalised there was a 2-2 draw or that, is it, I think that was the one it's not the one that Arsenal won yeah 2-2 draw then yeah um, but the first half was just oh my god have you mm. seen like it was just Arsenal were, were like they didn't know where to look everywhere they looked it was like oh my god they're all over the place <laughs> this is it was it was terrifying you know it was like it was shocking yeah. like how 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 good they were and how sort of all over them and uh, you're not going to get that from a Carlo Ancelotti team yeah. you know, it's just it's a different type of more, you know, mm. it's up to the players on the night, sure. you know. So uh, maybe they win that and it kind of makes them feel as though, well, I suppose the Chelsea game as well. It's, yeah. it's, all of these things will be decided. But you kind of feel, yeah, they can do it, but they usually don't. But maybe... No, it, it, it does feel like that. that's what they need to sort of get over this, whether it's sort of inbuilt or it's just so ingrained at this point, a sort of inferiority complex when it comes to these big games, you know, Europe, obviously, but you look at the games uh, that are coming up, they've got to go away to Chelsea, they've got to go to Anfield, they've got to go to White Hart Lane, mm. that if this is a team that really uh, can challenge for the title and stay in the title race at least until May, they've got to, they've got to get results. Yeah, they, yeah, they can't lose those games and they've got to win probably two out of three of those games as well. One out of three would be good, but if, if they don't lose, I mean, just losing, mm. like letting letting the gap the gap get bigger, you know, yeah. as, long, as long as you don't lose sort of away games against the big teams, you know, they can turn, you're not giving them any ground and then it depends what happens in the... You see, Arsenal have been actually... Was it the Burnley game? Someone was... Was it Gary Breen? A friend of mine was saying he was listening to the Arsenal game on the radio. Mm. I think Gary Breen was on News Talk. Right. And he was saying, Gary Breen was saying like... Now, I didn't hear this myself, so I apologise if Gary Breen, in fact, wasn't saying it. Maybe, maybe, I mean, this is all secondhand. But the point was that he'd said, oh, Arsenal once again. And this was after Burnley had equalised, of course. Um... You know, they just they just can't really seem to put away these teams. He was like, "That's all Arsenal do. Arsenal are like, you know, the combine harvester that that, that <laughs> cuts up the mice that are the small teams in the Premier League. Like they are, they're ruthless at at putting away these teams. Their problem has been mm. not beating the teams. You know, their their direct competitors. Yeah. That's that's more been their issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not beating you know Burnley or Swansea. Yeah. Like they, well, they usually yeah, they, they, do. they do that. Yeah, I mean it doesn't help when you're down to ten men either. No. Um, Although Arsenal like that, they do. I mean I think they're the only know, team that's won more games. Uh, only team I think in the Premier League that's won more games when they're down to ten than they've lost. So mm. they they actually like that. It sort of makes them feel, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, a bit of red card action has always been part of uh, Arsenal's best teams. Comes you know? direct from the top. Oh, absolutely. Comes that, that mad dog attitude. Mad dog Wenger. With Unbelievable. His... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's, he has to, like, tell Shaka, oh, no, no, granted, you know, let's, not, let's have no more of that. And he's just, like, pushing people on the sideline. I mean, it's crazy. Like, he I lost was... his temper much worse than Shaka did. Oh, yeah, I'd I mean, Shaka, Shaka just kind of tried to get the ball and yeah. like, made, a, made a balls of it. Yeah. But Wenger just was completely lost his, lost his mind. Well, you know, I think, it, I think it has been blown a little bit out of proportion. You know, Taylor was sort of... Come on. Like, I'm, you're, nearly, you're nearly 70 years old. Sure. What are you doing? <laughs> like, how many thousands... Of, like, he's more, more than a thousand games, imagine. Yeah. Things, and, he's, and he suffered a lot 
a lot of things have gone wrong. Okay, but okay, you say it almost a thousand games, but in a thousand games, losing your temper, of, you know, four or five times, loads shoving, of times, more than anyone else, <laughs> shoving Mourinho, okay, Pardew, would, would taking you, on y'all. Would you not shove Mourinho or Pardew if you were in those circles? Maybe I, mean, I, would, I, maybe I, I would. I mean, he certainly the, the guys who he's chosen to take on there. You can, they are Anthony Taylor. I mean, among come the on, more offensive human beings ever to have have been in the in the game in England. You know, he has picked yeah, out like some. He, you know, yeah. some some nasty guys. He needs he needs to <laughs> you know. I'm not going to say he needs to learn, but you know, yeah. certainly he he should know better. But, Win or uh, learn? Well, of course he won, so yeah. I guess uh, there's no need to learn on this occasion. No, absolutely not. And he can have a quiet word with Grant Jack about his own uh, despicable behaviour on the pitch. Yeah. It's interesting. I was listening to to you talking about Jack and the and the red cards, and I went back through his record. Right, 2011, 2012, he had five yellows from 34 appearances. 2012-13, he'd four yellows from 34 appearances. And in 2013, something obviously went on in his head <laughs> where he went, I think I'm going to be a bit of a cunt. 2013-14, yeah. uh, 13 yellow cards and one red. 2014-15, yeah. two red cards and 18 yellow cards. <laughs> Which is amazing. Last season uh, for Borussia Mönchengladbach, three red cards and 13 yellow cards. That's and, amazing. And then this season for Arsenal, he's had the two two red cards and only four yellow cards, in fairness. And he's yeah. played as many games as, as everybody else yeah. in the Arsenal side. I mean, I think the one against Burnley was, you know, he should know better. He needs to stay in his feet. I thought the first one against Swansea was one of the most ridiculous red cards I've, I've ever seen. Uh, I'm trying to remember. He just the guy turned him. He was in in the Swansea half, and he just sort of sort of hung a leg out and tripped. Him. Oh, that, well, that was that, that was like he thought he was going to get a yellow card. Yeah, that I th was the I one. I think everybody thought he was going to get a yellow. Apart card. from Alex Oxford Chamberlain, did you see Chamberlain talking about that? He's like, I was sitting there going, Oh no, he's off. We've been told about this. Oh, uh, right, appa right, apparently yeah, there'd yeah. been some. There, didn't Rooney get sent off with a similar situation? Not too long, maybe last season, the season before, where. Where he chopped someone down in the center circle who had who had gone past him, and obviously he did it in such a way that he expected, well, that's obviously a yellow card, and turned around and it's a red card, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> you know, that that was what happened with yeah. something similar happened with Chaka. I can't but, remember the Rooney one, but. but it was just like you know, sometimes those fouls are offensive enough to deserve a red card. I, but yeah, I, I get it. I mean, if he had literally booted the guy... He, which he did. I, he didn't. He just fucking tripped him <laughs> up. He just hung his leg out. It looked much worse in real time, you know, which I think is the only reason why it might have been given. But yeah, um, yeah no, he, the, the Chamberlain claimed that they had that, that the referees had said, oh, we're, we're cracking down extra hard on this. So, <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe that cost him. But like, Nine red cards is insane. That's like for, from three seasons or the last three seasons. Yeah, so one, one, two, three. So that's six, eight in club football. He was sent off in the European Championships as well. So that's nine in since the start of the 2013-14 season. That's so, like, isn't isn't how many times did Patrick Vieira get sent off for Arsenal? Was it, was it I eight? I can't remember. Nine or ten, maybe. I can't remember. But that's a... That's a that's a huge number of red cards. I mean, mm. that's, it didn't take long for your teammates to start getting pissed off. Yeah. Like one red card, two red cards, okay. Nine. It's like, what do you think? This is, this is ridiculous. You're just making us... Nine and three seasons. You know, this two and guy, a half seasons. This, so. how, how can you trust them? How can, how, can, can Shaka play against Bayern Munich, for instance? How can, how can they play him That's in that game? Question. It's like, are you going to leave us down to 10 men in, in you know, one of our mm. biggest matches of the season? Can we, can we rely on you to stay in the field? Yeah. These are the problems. Like, I think, yeah. I mean, the thing about it is he's been great as well from mm. a footballing point of view. He's been really, he's been really good. But it, it almost seems like it's become a conscious decision of his to be a physical player. And clearly the, the, the cards that he's getting have, have shown that he needs to reassess that, that 
his way of playing. Well, maybe it's promising in a way in that if it can be switched on so suddenly, maybe it can also be switched off. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a thing that's too difficult to solve. But but is it? Did he did he change position or something like that? Was he in a different? Was he playing in a different area of the field? I don't know. Actually, I don't mm. know. I don't know that that much about his early career. Because where he is now, he's like. Uh, He's just the guy in front of the fence, so yeah. he does have to make a tackle from time to time. And it's not one of his strengths. It's not really, but you know, there were a couple of moments, certainly in the Burnley game, where he defended very well and his mm. tackling was was okay. But yeah, I mean, just fucking stay on your feet, man. Yeah, stay yeah. Stay on yeah. your feet. Anyway, listen, Ken, we better leave it there. Uh, pleasure as always. Great being in. Thanks uh, for having me. Thank you very much indeed to Ken. You can find him on Twitter at Ken Earlies, at Ken Earlies. And if you're looking for just a great general football podcast to listen to, uh, something apart from the Arsecast, of course, then I do recommend Second Captains. If you're not already subscribed, you should be subscribing right now. So check it out at secondcaptains.com. You can find it on iTunes. Just subscribe to Second Captains Monday and Thursday. They do the football shows there. If you expect all football, they do quite a lot of Irish sport as well. So, uh, uh, just bear that in mind, but the football show is uh, above and beyond the best football show there is out there, so uh, make sure you're listening to that. So, the only thing we have left to talk about really is the uh, the Southampton game, and it's been, well, it's away from home, and our record against Southampton away from home is not very good. Not very good at all. The last time we beat Southampton away from home was December 2000. And three. 2003. It's like, holy shit. Now, to be fair, there was a period between 2005 and 2012, seven whole years, where we didn't play them at all because they had been relegated. But since they've come back into the Premier League, we've never won. We've beaten them at the Emirates, of course, but not at St. Mary's. So there's a little bit of a thing for us to get over there. Uh, let's see that team on the day. That uh, Lehman, Toure, Clichy, Seagan, Saul Campbell, Patrick Vieira, Freddie Jumberg, Ray Parler, Robert Perez, Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry. That's not a bad team that, that won 1-0 at Southampton against Niemi, Chris Baird, Marcus Svensson. I think it's Marcus Svensson. Telfer, Hall, Higginbottom, Rory DeLapp. Some guy called Griffith, who I never heard of. Uh, David Prutton, James Beatty, and Kevin Phillips. So you look at the the quality we had in our team that day, and it's still just a a 1-0 win, a goal from Robert Pires gave us the the win on that day. 2003, and it's 2017. So looking for our first win there since 2000 for 14 years. Whoo! Um, yeah, well, our work is cut out for us, it has to be said. But you might wonder if our work might be made a little bit easier for us by the fact that Southampton obviously had a midweek game uh, against Liverpool at Anfield. They won late on to get themselves into the EFL Cup final. They picked a strong team, as you would if you were in a semi-final with the potential of reaching a final. So hopefully they're knackered. I hope they're really, really tired, exhausted. Uh, the uh, the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that we've got a league game against Watford on Tuesday. So I guess there will be some rotation from Arsene Wenger. He said we might play one or two young players, but it will be a first-team uh, selection, he said. So what that means exactly is uh, is anybody's guess. There'll be a little bit, of, uh, little bit of changes, I think, maybe up front. I would be very surprised if Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil started in this game, given that we're playing Watford at home on Tuesday night. I don't think they'll be missing from the squad. I think they'll be in the squad and on the bench if we need them, but you're looking at the likes of uh, Danny Welbeck, Lucas Perez, 
players uh, coming in. We don't have anyone else in central midfield other than uh, Aaron Ramsey and Francis Coquelin, so we're going to have to play those two. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain could play, maybe a change uh, at left-back. Kieran Gibbs is back. Theo Walcott is back in the squad. David Ospina will probably play, and maybe there's room for Gabriel uh, to play in one of the centre-half positions, save Koscielny for the Tuesday night. You know, there is room for manoeuvre room for manoeuvre and a good, strong squad that we've got this season that should be able to cope with this game. It is going to be very difficult, though, um, and we're going to have to play well to to do it. Uh, and it's it's important to keep the momentum going as well because we've got this game against Southampton, then we've got a game against Watford, and then next weekend, whew, next weekend is Chelsea away from home. I think we all know uh, how important that game is. So, look... Um, I think we leave it there for this week. Thank you, uh, as ever, for listening. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you looking back on the game against Southampton, looking ahead to the game against Watford. Uh, and I'll be back next week with an Arscast looking ahead to Chelsea and all the rest. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. in the tunes here on a Wednesday night on Holy God FM and that is the sultry sound of Sade and the sweetest taboo sorry my producer Monsignor Murphy's in my ear saying it's pronounced Sade so that's Sade with the sweetest taboo you can listen to your Sade with a glass of lemonade anyway we have a letter here from one of our listeners just calls himself A the letter A he says Dear Holy God FM I'm in a terrible state I'm worrying like I never worried before Last weekend I was involved in a high pressure sporting event Right at the end a decision went against my team and I reacted very badly I turned to one of the officials and I swore at him. I said to him, Fuck off, you f***ing c***t. You're nothing but a f***ing prick. You're a poxy f***ing shitbag. I hate you. I f***ing want to you bastard. You big bastard prick. You f***ing c***t. Bastard, bastard, c***ing shitbag. Atoll water. 
yeah, I think we, we get the idea there. Eh? Ever since I've been racked with guilt, it's not like me to lose control like that. And I wonder if you might have any advice for me. Well, I have to say that high-pressure sporting events are not really my thing. The last one I took part in was the under-sevens mother and son egg and spoon race back in the day. Patrick Dooley's mother's boob came out. He was so embarrassed. And I think that was the day I decided to become a DJ on Holy God FM. All I would say to you though, eh, is that we all have problems with self-control. And that music can heal us from the bottom to the top. And there's no better woman to do that than Laura Brannigan. My producer, Monsignor Murphy, is telling me, Laura Brannigan. Laura Brannigan.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 